Hi, I'm Jani Judley and I'm the therapist in my pocket. Welcome to Pocket Talk. Hi, I'm Jani Judley and today I'm going to be talking about memory feelings and the way they affect us. This piece is called Echoes Down the Years. I hope you enjoy it. noticed how easily memory feelings can be triggered. You know, those feelings that suddenly grab you and startle you, propel you back in time to another place, another you, and suddenly current reality, whatever that is, has shifted. You're no longer in this now, you are in a totally different now, one that is so familiar and immediately present that it's as if you're living through that experience all over again. It's as if journeying through time really is possible because this time and place is suddenly real and so tangible that you can hear the sounds and smell the smells. Sometimes it comes as a pleasant surprise. It feels wonderful to realise that memories of special times or loved ones long ago are still there and available, bright as day. At other times, it doesn't feel that way. Experiences we thought we'd survived and forgotten suddenly surface, and our whole system is gripped by them in a vice, a complete memory, which we feel so viscerally it takes our breath away. You know those times? One of those happened to me the other day. I'd like to share it with you. I'm going to tell you it exactly as it happened. The other day, a large envelope arrived for me in the post. I knew what it was, because I could see the handwritten address, and I could feel the contents as I held it. It was the photograph my uncle had promised to send me when we'd spoken at my dad's celebration of life service, just after Christmas. At the time, I'd not wanted to hurt his feelings, by saying I'd rather he didn't. After all, it had been a very long time since I'd seen the place. What harm could it possibly do after all these years? But now here I was, holding the envelope in my hand, and I could feel the dread gripping me. He couldn't have known, of course. He had made the assumption, perfectly understandably, that I would be thrilled to see that old black-and-white photo. Like he'd said, he and I were probably the only two people still living to whom it would mean anything. He had no idea. How could he? No one did. But even after so long, and so much life lived since, I knew the places seeing that photo would take me to. For several days... I left the envelope on the top of a chest of drawers in the bedroom, unopened, untouched. I even phoned him to thank him and let him know that it had arrived safely and how much I'd appreciated his thoughtfulness in sending it. However, for now, I didn't want to touch it or go near it. Eventually, I decided I was ready. I sat for so many minutes just holding the envelope in my hands, trying to say there was no rush and that I could just put it back if I wanted to. 
but suddenly I realised I was tearing it open, putting aside his letter and the other one or two additional photos he'd put in alongside, and then, there it was, there it was, the farm, the farmhouse, Hugo's hut. I remembered how we'd all sat around the table at the wake, reminiscing in that way that families do when they haven't seen each other for a long time. My uncle is the only remaining brother, and therefore my only remaining relative from my dad's generation. He was right when he said that he and I were probably the only ones to whom this photo would still mean anything. But our memories are not the same. I remember him telling everyone round the table the story of Hugo's hut, how the farm had lodged prisoners of war who worked on the farm, helping with the cattle during World War II. He is describing what a wonderful man this particular prisoner of war, who had given his name to the hut, Hugo, had been, and how he had stayed on after the end of the war, becoming virtually a member of the family, and still using that hut for his bedding and belongings. It is fascinating to hear, and everyone is clearly enjoying the tales he's telling. However, as he's speaking, and again now as I hold the black and white photo in my hands, my own reality has changed. I am no longer a 60-year-old woman sitting, chatting and laughing at a family wake, or sitting on the edge of my bed staring at an old black and white photo of a farm shed. I am about five or six years old, and my world is about to be turned upside down. I can smell the scent of the hay on the floor of the calf pens and I can hear their snorting and stamping and coughing, see the cold air coming out of their nostrils as they breathe on this cold winter's afternoon. I have had another tantrum, screaming and kicking out and refusing to have anything to do with this harsh woman with the sarcastic tongue and rough hands who has lived in our house since my mother was made to go and live in that house, just up there, just up the road. I'm rarely allowed to go and visit her, but from my bedroom window, if I fetch a chair to kneel on, I can watch her hanging washing out on the line, or working in the garden. My whole being feels her absence, with a knowing that never goes away or even eases and my rage at her having been taken away is limitless. My father is torn, that much I know. I watch him struggling to pacify this woman who can't bear my presence and all that it reminds her of. He tries to not pay me too much affection when she's around because it makes her sneer and say cruel things to him, just like she sneers at me when I ask if I can be taken up the road to visit my mother. She makes me feel that my love for my mother is wrong, somehow hurts her, and my father seems to take her side on that. That's why I have these tantrums and why my rage is so great. Today, after I've had yet another tantrum, he takes me crossly by the hand and walks me round to Hugo's hut. The cross woman is shouting after us as we walk, taunting him with words I don't understand. Sometimes I worry it's all too much for him. 
I seem to have a sense that his heart is breaking. I have that often, but I never know why. We go into Hugo's hut and he closes the door. Suddenly the world with its angry shouting is gone and he's pulling out a chair, lifting me onto his knee and telling me that he has something very important to tell me. He says he should have told me before and is sorry that he hasn't. He says it might have prevented a lot. All I can hear is something important and the cold and shivering that goes through my body right to my bones is not just to do with the fact that it's a cold winter's day. The tone of his voice is so, so serious and filled with so much sadness I'm gripped with the fear that he's going to tell me he's going to die. I'm so used to loss, so convinced by now that nothing good ever remains, that this will come as no surprise to me. The cold and shivering of loss and longing is, it feels to me, what my entire being is made up of. It is somehow connected with the tantrums and the rage. But then he tells me, with infinite tenderness, a story that I couldn't have imagined in a million years. Holding me close against his chest and with tears in his eyes, he tells me who I really am and who the woman just up the road for whose presence I long daily really is. He tells me that she's not my mother, but his. He tells me that she brought me up but is not my mother. He says that my mother died six days after I was born and that it broke his heart. He says that he had always been afraid that something bad would happen and so had kept telling her that he didn't want children but that she wanted a child so badly that in the end he agreed. My mind is going numb as the cold reaches deeper and deeper into me and it's hard to hear his words as he describes how proud she was of me, that my second name was also her name and that she had loved me and named me. He describes getting a phone call from the hospital saying, would the father of this baby with this name come to the hospital? And how a cold fear had gripped him at those words that he had known it was not a normal message. I find myself hearing about that cold fear and wondering if it was the same as mine. My teeth are chattering now and even his body warmth is bringing no relief. He is telling one story, but mine is different now from his. My head is reeling from the catastrophic news that the woman who had loved me through babyhood and toddlerhood is not my mother. She is not my mother. All I have thought and believed and held on to, that one bit of comfort and certainty, is now gone. She is not my mother. She looked after me for him, but she is not my mother. Suddenly I need to run, just to run. I scramble off his knee and run for the fresh air. It's icy out there, but that doesn't matter. It's icy inside me too. 
I run and run across the yard, past the cattle pens, past the hay barn, through the gate and out into the fields. I am both numb and exploding with feeling, but I can't find it or reach it to find what that feeling is. I want to explode into thousands of pieces for this fear and grief and pain and hate and rage to break. I can't hold it or carry it any more. And suddenly I'm sobbing so hard and so deep. I'm coughing and choking as I sob, almost unable to get my breath. I long to go to this woman who was my mother and tell her, but I no longer know what to say. And then just as suddenly, I'm back in my bedroom, a woman of 60, feeling still like a little girl of five or six, wide open and full of tears, but back now in this now. I can feel the carpet beneath my feet. I can hear my partner hoovering downstairs and the familiar sounds outside of traffic and birdsong and people going about their business. I still have the cold, but noticing the way the carpet feels and focusing on who I am now is helping, as is listening to my breathing as it brings me back to being in my now body instead of my back then body. All is well and I am safe. I wanted to tell you this, not because I wanted to tell you my story, but rather because I wanted to show you how memory feelings work and that they can be survived. That even though they feel real and like they are happening now, they are memory held in the body and we can breathe through them, know what they are and remind ourselves that we are safe now and all is well. As a psychotherapist, the vast majority of my work involves helping those who come to me for help to access, identify, process and become free from the unwanted effects of memory feelings. We all carry them in the unconscious system which is our bodily memory. However, we don't always recognise them or know when we're acting them out. And we do act them out over and over again. And it's part of the work of this lifetime to become conscious of how we repeat the trauma of past experiences over and over again until we develop the awareness that means we recognise those old patterns for what they are. So to use my own experience as an example, I spent years reacting in extreme ways to anyone appearing to let me down, saying one thing but then doing another, appearing to promise one thing but then changing their mind. I also felt rootless and frightened and alone. I longed for closeness, but that cold fear that everything could be lost and that anything good would be taken away was stronger than my longing for relationship or intimacy. I would often find myself engineering things to go wrong rather than living with the dread of waiting for them to do so. And so for me, the work of this lifetime has included learning to trust and learning to love without fear. And I have repeated it many times in the company of other members of my soul family whose threads are interwoven with mine. We have loved and hated, 
come together and walked away, but always it has been in the service of expansion and the return to unconditional love and remembering who we really are. Some of us, the bravest, have signed up for some incredibly testing and challenging stories, and the gifts of the experiences gained leave us in absolute awe. Some memory feelings can be so challenging at times that we become mentally ill or even psychotic in order to gain some distance from them. Hallucinations are memory feelings that are so painful that they are projected outwards and appear as actual entities in their own right, and those who become mentally unwell have a degree of heightened sensitivity and awareness which would leave us in no doubt as to the heroic path that they've set out upon. It is always a spiritual path, even if we're not consciously aware that it is, and sometimes we have set ourselves an immense challenge knowing we would survive it out of the most extraordinary love and in the service of expanding into even greater love. I say that because, just as I am a spiritual being, come to have a human experience, so are we all. My beginnings, just as all of our beginnings do, set the scene and the plot which I was going to live out as my story this lifetime. But that story is just that, a story. It is not who I am, nor am I defined by it. It was designed, because I, just as you did, chose my story, to teach me, source energy, about what it is to be human, and to find my way back from fear to unconditional love through my experience in this time-space playground that is planet Earth. My father, mother, grandmother, and all the other players, including the harsh woman with the sarcastic tongue and rough hands, signed up for it too, generously as spiritual beings themselves on their own journey, which dovetailed at key points with my own. And that is true for every single one of us in our own unique and sacred way. We are at the leading edge, and therefore... We are brave souls indeed. It's not always easy, is it, to notice how we are powerfully creating and recreating the play and the players. We believe what's happening to us so fully that we can find it hard to observe it. But all of us who ask the question, how is it that this keeps happening to me, are actually beginning to notice the repeating story and being offered a signpost to where they might choose to go should they so wish. Remember, it is a story only, and we wrote the plot, which we are now trying to make as realistic as possible. We came to move from fear into love, and when we get that, we start living more consciously and in awareness of our true purpose. To remember that we are unconditional love and through the journey back to unconditional love, to add to the wealth of compassion and understanding and wisdom of all that is. For that is where we came from, where we will go back to, and who we really are. We are always doing what we set out to do, and the way the plot works is that we create the perfect beginning for our story, one that will provide us with some pretty powerful memory feelings which will then direct the themes we will play out 
as the dramas of this lifetime. When you get that, really get how perfectly everything is working out, you can let go of identifying with what you perceive as reality. You no longer have to believe that this character is you. And it's always helpful to know that there is way more of you, way more to you, than this character. For you are one with the energy of all, source energy continuously expanding in love and companionship. You are source energy, and as a traveller here, you are surrounded and guided and upheld by more light and love and power than you can possibly imagine from your temporary physical perspective, as are we all. Oh, the applause if you could only hear it. What a journey. What an adventure. How amazing are we. You've been listening to me, Janny Judley, the therapist in my pocket, on Pocket Talk. If you'd like to read or hear more, you can find me on SoundCloud, Stitcher and iTunes as Janny Judley, the therapist in my pocket. You can find me on my Facebook page, The Therapist in My Pocket, at www.facebook.com forward slash TT in my pocket and on my website, www.thetherapistinmypocket.com You can follow me at Janny Judley on Twitter and Instagram and you can find me as a regular columnist on Elephant Journal and as a feature writer in Kindred Spirit magazine. You can also purchase my book Dancers Amongst the Stars which is available in all formats on Amazon and with free shipping worldwide from Book Depository. If you'd like a signed copy or to contact me direct, my email is jannyjudley at thetherapistinmypocket.co.uk. For now, thank you for listening to me and to Pocket Talk. Bye for now. Love and sparkles.